Hello, you're listening to VHC, Vibes, History, and Culture, a show where we explore the unknown and little-known facts and gems about music and popular culture from a millennial lens. This is your host, Kevin Washington, and this episode is going to be the start of our two-part episode of Justice for Disco, and I really mean Justice for Disco. And yes, I'm going there and getting the justice for the genre that birthed multiple other genres, including pop, dance house, electronic, and yes, hip hop music. And we're going to go over the incredible history and legacy, including, I would say, the unfortunate disco demolition night controversy in Chicago in 1979. So join me, will you, on this historic trip to the magic that was disco. Before we get into the iconicness that is disco, if iconicness is even a word, (laughs) when most people think about disco, They think about, of course, John Travolta's 1977 film Saturday Night Fever with the classic tunes by the legendary group the Bee Gees or the band ABBA in their song Dancing Queen. But that's not when and where disco started. It was birthed and cultivated from the black, brown, and LGBTQ plus communities, including within the nightclub scene in New York City in the late 1960s, where the club scene was thriving and DJs would mix dance records, most famously the Studio 54 Club in Manhattan. And we'll explore as much as we can on today's show, so let's get started. First, let's dive deep into the deeper history of the genre. The actual term disco is short for the word discotheque, which is a French word for library of phonograph records that actually comes from the word bibliotheque. But the word discotheque had the same meaning in English in the 1950s. The word discotheque began to be used in French for a type of nightclub in Paris. By the summer of 1964, a short sleeveless dress called the discotheque dress was briefly very popular in the US, but the earliest known use for the abbreviated form disco was found in the Salt Lake Tribune on July the 12th, 1964. In describing this new fashion dress, even Playboy magazine used the name in September of the same year while describing Los Angeles nightclubs. Now that was the origins of the genre's name, now on to the music and the cultures that surround it. What can you say about the music, man? I 
there's no words to it i mean this is so awesome i can see the obvious connections between disco and a lot of the pop dance music we see today which cannot be disputed played a major role in birthing today's pop music but as we get deeper into the musical aspects of disco for all of you music and musician nerds out there like myself <laughs> this is for you see when i think of disco music i think about those amazing guitars those guitars man which are called chicken scratch rhythm guitars crazy and massive horns the electronic pianos and the start of the use of the synthesizer such ear candy music with combinations of different music and cultures making it into such a unique art form and as i geek out here <laughs> on this episode just can't get enough of the sound that makes disco and it's so interesting to look into how all of these elements come together to make this kind of music on top of all of that it is also during the time when music was beginning to extend longer if some of my fellow millennials noticed the difference between the length of some of the 1950s and 60s songs were mostly two minutes long but by the 70s the start of songs getting longer to either four to five minutes disco played a role in that with songs even extending to six to seven minutes of great ear candy music which often clashed with radio stations who often demanded the disco djs and musicians to reduce the length of the songs for radio purposes let's keep the conversation on the music going and I can't go on first without talking about the artists, the amazing artists who made disco what it is. From Donna Summer, Gloria Gaynor, Delma Houston, Anita Ward, and Sylvester. Also, already established artists like Diana Ross, the group LaBelle, the OJs, and the Jackson 5 and to the great bands like Chic, KC and the Sunshine Band, Cool of the Gang, and the elements as they are called, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And as stated earlier in the show, the whole formation of the disco genre and culture was cultivated by black, brown, and LGBTQ plus communities, including the black and brown musicians and singers that often get lost in the conversation when people describe disco as just being something that centered around the Saturday Night Fever film or the critiques of the oversaturation of the genre with songs like Kung Fu Fighting, the subline and musical genius in the instrumentation, the grooviness, catchy lyrics, and overall fun and dance the genre brings. And I will be remiss not to mention that I recall Naima Cochran, a former Vibe magazine columnist, now music commentator, who I religiously follow on Twitter, mentioned in her exploration on the history and cultural impact on disco, stated that it takes 
big voices to do dance hits. And she was referring to the biggest faces of the genre, black female singers like Donna, Anita, Gloria, Delma, Diana, and so on. A lot of those singers come from the black church tradition, as did a lot of R&B singers and performers, past and present. Even Sylvester, an openly gay singer who came from the Church of God in Christ tradition. You hear his hit song, You Make Me Feel Mighty Real. You hear in his incredible voice that gospel vocal runs. And like Sylvester, each singer brought that sacred sound into the dance hits. You hear the influence. And we definitely need to do an episode in the future about the, uh, what I like to call it, the black gospel to R&B pop and soul pipeline. <laughs> Now for the cultural aspects of the genre. By the late 1970s, most major U.S. cities had thriving disco clubs. And as stated earlier, disco was the start of the club DJ as a major component to the music industry. The DJs would mix dance records at clubs such as Studio 54 in Manhattan, a venue that was very popular amongst celebrities. Nightclub goers often wore expensive and extravagant outfits. And not to make it seem like it was all glitz and glamour, the clubs also had a drug subculture. Other than Studio 54, other notable disco clubs include Cresco Disco, The Sanctuary, Leviticus and Paradise Garage in New York, Artemis in Philadelphia, and Studio One in Los Angeles. Also, Duggins Bistro in Chicago and the Library in Atlanta. And in the late 1970s, Studio 54 in Midtown Manhattan was arguably the most known nightclub in the world. Studio 54 played a major formative role in the growth of disco music and nightclub culture in general. For a lot of us millennials and Gen Zers, just think about the current club culture, even the music festivals like Coachella, because I look at those things and I see a correlation between them and the disco club culture where young people of all races and orientations coming together to dance, enjoying music, and truly expressing themselves. That didn't just happen out of nowhere. Many of those things wouldn't be possible without the influence and impact of disco and the disco club culture that birthed it. And to add here another gospel to disco connection, the legendary female gospel group, the Clark Sisters, major radio hit You Brought the Sunshine exploded on the music scene outside of the four walls of their Kojic churches and gospel scene onto the national music scene when Studio 54 played their song. Yes, an actual gospel song was played at Studio 54. Recalling back to watching the TV One Unsung series on the Clark Sisters, one of the sisters, the roles of gospel, Dr. Dorinda Clark Cole, saying that she and her sisters were offered 
a chance to perform that Studio 54, and they will be paid top dollar if they do, but their mother, the late Dr. Manny Moss Clark, actually refused the club's offer. Just another little-known history I want to throw in there. And you wonder after exploring the greatness that was the genre of disco and all that had contributed to it in the past as well as the present. You're wondering, what's next? Well, we have come to the part of the unfortunate disco demolition controversy. So let's just get started. For all the youngins listening, what is Disco Demolition Night? Well, it was a promotional campaign put on by Major League Baseball, which aired live on Thursday, July the 12th, 1979, at Comiskey Park in Chicago, that ended in an unfortunate riot. Let's first talk about how it all got started in the first place. By the late 1970s, dance-oriented disco was the most popular music genre in the U.S., particularly after being heavily featured in hit films such as Saturday Night Fever. However, disco sparked a major backlash from rock music fans. The genre had began to be oversaturated with the larger popular culture. And to be fair to that particular critique, it was overshadowing the original origins of the music and singers and artists and musicians and culture who helped cultivate it in the first place. The opposition was prominent enough that the White Sox organization, seeking to fill the seats of Comiskey Park during a very lackluster baseball season, for the game between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers. Chicago shock rock music jock Stephen Dahl led the promotion. Here's a little background on Dahl. By 1978, many radio stations in the country began switching to an all-disco format. In Chicago, Dahl was working as a disc jockey for WDAI. Now, WLS-FM was fired on Christmas Eve 1978 as part of the station's switch from rock to disco. He was then hired by rival rock station WLUP. Tapping into the growing anti-disco backlash, Dahl used the publicity surrounding his firing from his previous radio station. He frequently mocked WDAI's Disco Die slogan, which with his own slogan, Disco Die, D-I-E. Dahl created a mock organization, the Insane Coholips, an anti-disco army consistent of his listeners. Dahl and his broadcast partner Gary Meyer organized the Cohos around a simple and surprisingly powerful idea, Disco Sucks. Fast forward to July 12, 1979 in Comiskey Park. The Disco Demolition Night was a night for not only for the White Sox organization to pack their stadium and make some money, 
but it gave a chance for a lot of the anti-disco enthusiasts to gather and express their resentment of a genre that had taken over the country. Even admission to the park was discounted to 98 cents for attendees who turned in a disco record. Between games, Dahl was to destroy the collected vinyl records in an explosion. And let's just say that there was a, a incredible chaos and mayhem and destruction of property. And I'll leave it at that <laughs> as we dive deep into the backlash to disco. But to add more context, music producer and house music pioneer Vince Lawrence was 18 at the time, working at Comiskey Park as a usher. He recalls many of the attendees who participated in the riot on the field, bringing in said disco records that were their admission into the field. But Lawrence recalls that the records being brought in weren't all quote-unquote disco records. They were other R&B soul records by black artists. And those attendees also made it a point to break those same records in Lawrence's face. The crying, the word disco sucks. And here's a little more context from Lawrence himself, not just on the events at Comeskey Park back in 1979, but the overall racial tension in Chicago at the time. My first girlfriend in high school wasn't, wasn't black and she lived on a Bridgeport border. I walked her home from the bus stop. And on my way home, this guy um, drove up next to me and says, where do you think you're going, Coon? And I ran like the track star I practiced to be. <laughs> but they caught up to me, and they beat me up pretty bad. And they beat me up for being in their neighborhood. I had never really knew that that hate was real, that that was something that actually happened. You know, it turns out that his father was a Bridgeport cop, and they wanted this to go away. And they asked me if I would take money to drop the charges. And honestly, I had synthesizer on the brain. <laughs> and. That was pretty much what happened. I forgave his racism in exchange for a piece of my dream. Steve Dahl's disco demolition, from my perspective, was the same sort of person resisting the same sort of change. What happened actually fueled a movement that created the change that maybe he didn't want to see at that time. Because now, it's kind of funny, there's so many average suburban white kids running around to house music festivals, basically, that you hardly see any black kids there at all. The world is evolving. People are changing. And all we can hope is that it's for the better. And that was a small excerpt of Vince Lawrence, music producer and house music pioneer 
from a video from the Red Bull Music Academy from the episode The Note, episode 4, Disco Demolition Riot to Rebirth. And the point of the conversation about the Disco Demolition Night is really the whole point for this Justice for Disco episode. To point out the flawed attacks and campaign against a whole genre of artists, musicians, and culture of people, particularly marginalized communities, who were unfairly made to be the enemy of the larger American culture. And to be perfectly clear, this is not an attack on the genre of rock and all its subgenres, which actually intersects with a lot of the subgenres of disco quiet as his cat. But the genre didn't die, as Vince Lawrence said. It went back into the origins of disco and the underground music scene, and totally reinvented itself through the 1980s dance house music, electronic music, pop music, and yes, hip hop music. Music that is also a mainstay in uh, music festival cultures, including modern day rock, believe it or not, has elements of post-disco music in it. Music is universal and all genres and its origins all intersect with each other. And I think it's beyond time for disco to get its just due for the amazingly crafted and designed genre that it is. And as we wrap up this episode of VHC, just wanted to thank you all again for taking the time to listen to the podcast whenever you're listening. So grateful to all of you and hope you will continue to listen to more VHC. And we'll have part two of our Justice for Disco. And we're going to look deep into how disco influenced modern popular culture and music. And believe me, there's a lot to cover with that end. And I'll do my best to cover it all with some other voices, other than my own, <laughs> to help me with that. And the podcast is available on Spotify as well as Buzzsprout. We also just recently launched the show on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And you can reach out to me via email, kevwash, all lowercase, K-E-V-W-A-S-H 46 at yahoo.com. And also you can reach out to me on social media on Twitter at Kevin Wash 08 and Instagram at Kevin underscore Washington underscore 887. And just follow me there where you can see the latest updates on the shows. And thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Peace.